Okay, we would like to dig into this subject. It's actually a question uh, that I was given by assignment that I'm preparing, doing some study on this. But the question is, what is right and what is wrong? What is right and what is wrong? As I started studying what the scripture has to say, it, it began to feel a bit overwhelming because I, I realized before long that the scripture from front cover to back cover is full of right and wrong scenarios. And, and, and truth and deception are, are storylines throughout all of scripture. You see it pretty quickly that there's, there's this spiritual battle that is waging between truth and falsehood. Of course, truth is what God is, pa- is passionate about. It, it's, it, it is who He is. It is what He desires for us. But on the contrary, falsehood and deception is, is what the devil brings to the table. And it is this battle that we find ourselves as human beings in the midst of. Many, many times. And perhaps every day there is some, some sort of, of that war waging within our lives. And so what is right and what is wrong? I will, will barely scratch the surface this morning, but I trust that it will be enough uh, to, to challenge you, to tra- challenge you to be a seeker of truth. Someone who is passionate about seeking truth in all of life, and not just simply believing what you hear or what you read on the surface. Now, as we think about this, there's a similar question that we must ask that, that points us to the answer, and that is, what is truth? So the, the main thrust this morning is what is right and what is wrong, but really I would like for us to to look a little deeper, and that is, what is truth? You see, discovering and believing truth will enable us to discern what is right and what is wrong in life. In other words, truth is foundational to life. Truth is foundational to discerning what is right and what is wrong. What is truth? That question has rang through the ages. And although it wasn't original with Pilate, yet we remember him for that question. And Jesus had just told him, we read this in John chapter 18, verse 37. Jesus had just told Pilate, To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Or we could say, Everyone that is on the side of truth listens to me. And so, in essence, Jesus was saying, Pilate, are you for truth? Are you for truth, Pilate? 
And I don't know exactly what Pilate looked like in the face when he responded, but I can sort of imagine him responding like this. (laughs) What is truth? What is truth? Kind of a mocking sneer almost. Maybe, maybe gesturing like this. What is truth? Here we have a, a, a very astounding picture. Just, just put this picture in your mind a little bit of Pilate standing there. Pilate and Jesus are standing face to face. Pilate is standing face to face with the truth. With the truth. And he chose to reject it. He had a choice to make. Pilate, are you for truth? And he chose to reject it. And then Pilate went on to make a terrible mistake. We could say a cowardly mistake. Well, it was a decision he made that I believe went on to haunt him for the rest of his life. You see, his failure to accept truth greatly impacted his ability to make the right decision in that huge moment. Later, I think we read it in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes, in in essence, this is what he said. If the princes of this world would have known the truth, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, he doesn't say if they would have known the truth, but he's speaking about the mystery, the mystery of all of that. But in essence, it's if they would have known the truth, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Pilate was standing face to face with the truth. He had a decision to make, and he chose to reject it, and we see the outcome. I say once again that discovering And experiencing, believing the truth will enable us to determine, to discern what is right and wrong in life. Truth is foundational to that. Now, I invite you to Ephesians chapter 4. I'd like to note a few verses here. As it relates to the importance of truth being central in the life of not only a a healthy church, but a healthy individual. Truth being central. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 12. Well, let's start at verse 11. And he, speaking of Jesus Christ, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself 
in love. Now, we don't often look at these verses when we're thinking of the importance of truth. We often look at it in, in regards to a congregation working together with Christ being the head and they're working together in love under his leading and under his calling and it's a beautiful picture. But as I read these recently, it stood out to me this central, this central ingredient of truth that makes all the difference, you could say. You see, the the church of Jesus Christ is made up of people who are passionate about truth. And, And in fact, at the center of every spiritually healthy person is truth. Truth is at the core of every spiritually healthy person. Truth brings wholeness. Truth brings stability. We'll note that here again in just a moment. Truth brings beauty to life. But note the contrasting pictures we have here. Uh, One is in verse 14. One is in verse 16. And in the center of that is what makes all the difference, and that is truth. Speaking the truth. Discovering and believing the truth. Truth being that, that... guide of life. But verse 14, we have a picture of instability. We have a picture of someone who doesn't know what they believe, and they're quick to believe whatever might sound good or whatever might catch them with interest. And that person is tossed to and fro. They're captivated by different, by different doctrines, by different things they read or hear. That's captivating. They have perhaps a very, a very critical way of looking at the Scripture, and they read it and they say, well, but you know, but I read this, and so maybe it doesn't, you know, and it's that kind of a, a person. And the last word of that verse is deceive. Deception is a part of that person's life. Now, the other picture is verse 16, and it's a beautiful picture. It's a picture of strength. It's a picture of growth. It's a picture where truth is at the center of of that individual's life or that congregation's life. Truth is at the center of that. It's beautiful. Well, Paul goes on to say, and we won't read all of this, but in the next few verses, Paul goes on to say, don't live like the world. Don't live like the Gentiles. He said their life is marked by vanity. Their life is marked by ignorance. It's marked by blindness. They are deceived. Don't live like that. And in fact, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, I believe it is, the Apostle Paul writes about the latter days, he said, in the last days, perilous times will come. Or, it's going to be terrible times in the last days. And then he lists a number of things, a number of marks of the last day. And one of those is that, that people in the last day will be ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then he goes on to say that they are people who resist the truth. Now, they're smart people, okay? They're ever learning. In one sense, they're very wise. 
And in the other sense, they're oh so foolish. They're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The truth. They resist the truth. That's a mark of the latter days, the Apostle Paul says. Perilous times will come. And so, back here in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul goes on to say, don't live like this. Don't be one of these people. Instead, live your life according to the truth that is in Jesus. Note verse 21. 20, verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard of Him. In other words, if you have heard of Him, and if you have been taught about Him, as the truth is in Jesus... In other words, you have learned differently. You have been taught differently. You have been taught that the truth is Jesus Christ. Live that way. Live with that in focus. Latch on to the truth. And so, we could find the answer for this sermon title, What is Right, What is Wrong, as well as the answer to all of life in these last five words in verse 21, and that is, the truth is in Jesus. (laughs) The truth is in Jesus. That's where we find what is right and what is wrong, the truth for life. Now, once again, what is right and what is wrong? That's the question. What is right and what is wrong? And, and dear people, we could spend an awful lot of time debating <laughs> this as it relates to all of the fine details of life. What's right about this? Well, what's wrong about this? Well, what should I do here? And what, what shouldn't I do here? And how should I do this? And what about this? And, and, and we could go around and around and around and around about what is right and what is wrong. And perhaps what is right for me may not be right for you and vice versa. It would be very hard to come to a very concise agreement on what is right and wrong when we just open discussion about practical everyday issues. I ran across this quote by D.L. Moody. He said, the best way to tell Well, let's, go, let's start this again. The best way to show that a stick is crooked is not to argue about it or to spend time denouncing it, but simply lay a straight stick beside it. <laughs> and as I pondered that, I said, well, that gives us some direction, perhaps. The best way to tell if a stick is crooked is not argue about it or Spend time denouncing it, but simply lay a straight stick beside it. And so that's what we'd like to do this morning for a few moments. We'd like to simply lay the straight stick of God's word, lay it out, and digest that. Here's another illustration. When it comes to handling money, how do we tell if a certain bill is counterfeit or not? How can we tell? Do we find out what is counterfeit by studying counterfeit bills? Is that how we figure it out? No, not at all. Instead, we study what is real. 
We study what is true. (laughs) We study what a real bill looks like. Actually, when I was at the bank this past week, I asked the ladies at the bank how they, I was thinking about this message. I said, uh, how do y'all, how do y'all go about determining what's counterfeit? You know, when you work with a lot of money, you feel a lot of money, how do you know what's counterfeit or not? And they said, oh, well, you, you'll feel it. You'll feel it and you'll see it. It's, it's, not, it's not like a real bill. There's little things about it. And another thing they said is you can take, you can take a real bill and you can, you can smudge it on a, on a piece of a copy paper or something and it leaves ink on the paper. In other words, they said that, that the ink of a real bill never truly dries. And they showed me. They did that. They took a bill and, and it left a green smudge on the paper. Whereas if I would try this, you know, with, with my sermon notes, you, you wouldn't get that effect. That was just one little thing they said. But, but they said, look, here's a... And I didn't tell them I was studying for a sermon. But they said, here's a, here's a little brochure that you can take with you. And it tells you how to, how to discern what is, what is the right bill. So I looked, I looked through this, this little... Um, brochure, and not one place ever does it say anything about counterfeit bills. Nothing. The, the whole, it doesn't say, now a counterfeit bill would look like this or that. The whole brochure is strictly about what real money looks like, okay? What the truth looks like. Anyway, I just use that as an illustration for us as well. As we, de- as we determine in life what is, what is right and what is wrong, there are many different variables of counterfeit. We will never be able to study all the counterfeits that Satan throws at us in our spiritual life. However, I am, I am convinced that when we spend our time studying carefully what is right and what is true, we will gain the ability to rightly discern what is wrong. As, as, we become, as we become skilled at handling the truth, we will, we will know that it doesn't feel right when something comes along that is in contradiction to the truth. Because we have been handling the truth. We know what truth is. And it just doesn't feel right. That is, that is my desire for us this morning. That we become students of the word in a way that helps us then to rightly discern these areas of right and wrong. And so we're not going to spend time this morning discussing what is wrong. But instead, we're going to go to the standard for what is right and what is true. And that is the enduring word of God. Now the psalmist says in Psalm 119... 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Forever, it's settled. There's no changing. (laughs) It's not up for debate. It's done. It's settled. You see, the word of God has never, ever been proven wrong. Now, it has been under attack for, for many, many years. It's been attacked many times. But the word of God has weathered every attack. No attack against the word of God has ever succeeded. Isaiah 40 verse 8. The grass withereth, 
the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The word of God endures. And so we can take, we can take courage, and that can be a, a sense of, of real assurance to us this morning, that we, we are living according to a word that is sure, that is solid, that has stood the test of time, and, and will always stand the test of time. This word will not be brought down, but it is the truth, and we can, we can place our lives safely in that. Now, I mentioned again, or earlier I mentioned, uh, how, how that, as I looked at this thing of what is right and wrong, uh, from the very beginning of the Bible to the end, there's examples of this. And so it's hard to know exactly what to do. But, but take, for example, from the very beginning of the Bible, there in, in Genesis, where we read about um, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that was in the midst of the garden. That's, that's in the beginning there of the Bible. And we read about God's truth, and we read about the devil's deception in that story, that's at the beginning, the whole way through the Bible till the very last chapter of Revelation where we read that hell is reserved for those who love and practice falsehood. That's sobering. Hell is reserved for those who love and practice that which is false, that which is not true. Makes me, makes me check myself a bit. What am I believing? What am I following after? What captivates me? So, grab your Bible, and we would, like to, we would like to stroll through a number of verses here. I won't make much comment, but we're going to start in Genesis. And, and we're just going to note a number of verses, especially in the Old Testament, and then a few in the, in the New as well, that, that just lay a foundation for what is right and what is wrong. What is truth? Laying a foundation. And as, as this foundation is laid, I trust it will challenge us and just encourage us again in seeking truth. Genesis 18, verse 25, and here's the story where Abraham is pleading for the city of Sodom. He's pleading for, for his nephew Lot. Okay? And... Here in verse 23, 24, and 25, and 26 as well, we have this little scenario here. And Abraham asked God a question. Well, Abraham said, Lord, are you going to destroy the wicked and the righteous? I, I mean, is, is that fair, God, in essence, he's saying? I mean... You're just going to wipe out the whole city? What if there's some righteous people there? Is that fair to do that? Are you going to treat the righteous just like the wicked people? And then he asked this question. He says, God, will not the judge of all the earth do right? <laughs> it's, it's an interesting question he asked God. Like God needed that one, you know. God, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Please, God, remember. Well... God goes on to say then in, in verse 26, yes, if, if I find 50 people, fi find 50 people that are righteous in the city of Sodom, I, I won't destroy it. And then you know the story as it goes lower and lower and lower and lower, and God kept having mercy, and there was this, uh, this little discussion going on. But I just start with that, with that 
question. Will not, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Well, move on now to Deuteronomy chapter 32. And in a, in a sense, this, this verse, 32 verse 4, answers this question that Abraham had. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4, we read, He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. (laughs) That's about as absolute of a verse as you're going to get. Just and right is he. Let's move on now to 1 Samuel chapter 12. And here we have Samuel's farewell speech. He is older, he's moving off the scene. And here, in the latter part of 1 Samuel chapter 12, we read verses 23 through 25. Samuel says, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Have you ever thought about that? That's a little, this is a little bunny trail, but have you ever thought about that when you, when you fail to pray for needy people that it's a sin? <laughs> That's how Samuel felt. He said, he said, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. And so, as we go through these verses, we're going to have a, we're, we're painting a picture of there is a definite right, there is a definite wrong, and there are consequences for, for both. Okay, we could, well, I hate to say there's consequences for right doing. I, that word to me often goes with wrongdoing. But there are, you could say there are blessings, there are rewards for doing what is right, and there's always consequences for doing what is wrong. So we're going to see this all throughout. There's a right, there's a wrong. What is the, what is the foundation for right and wrong? What is truth? And what are, the, what are the consequences? What are the blessings? But I will teach you the good and the right way, Samuel says. Okay, now I'll just mention here, recently in my Bible readings, uh, I'm, I'm reading through First and Second Kings right now, and, and I noticed with interest that time and time again, as, as a new king is introduced on the scene, we'll have him described in one of two ways. Either this might be one, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, or he might be described as this way, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Everyone, everyone, they, they are described as either doing what was right or doing what was evil. Clearly defined that in, in God's eyes, there is a standard, either they met it or they didn't. They were right or they were wrong, okay? Now let's move on to Nehemiah. Nehemiah... Uh, chapter 9, I'd like to note two verses here. And the first one is verse 13. And here, 
the children of Israel are, are, are looking back. They're remembering many years earlier. They're remembering what God did for the people. In Nehemiah 9, verse 13, Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai, and spakest with them from heaven, and gavest them right judgments and true laws, good statutes and commandments. Okay? They're remembering that God gave the people what was right, what was true, what was good. Verse 33. How be it, thou art just in all that is brought upon us. For thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. And so the people, the people of Israel, uh, they took punishment for, for their wrongdoing. But they said, you know what, it, it, was, it was our fault. It wasn't, it wasn't because you messed up, God. You did what was right. We take the blame because we have done wickedly. We deserve what we got. Now, let's go to Psalm. And uh, Psalm 19. And note several verses here. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. A beautiful picture of the Word of God being the foundation, being the, the essence of truth, what is good, what is right, what is stable. Turn to uh, Psalm 33. Psalm 33, verse 4. For the Word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. Now, in Proverbs, Proverbs 14, verse 12, there's, there's an interesting verse that causes us to ponder our ways. Proverbs 14, verse 12. And I find it interesting that this verse is, is duplicated in, in chapter 16 as well, but it's, it's identical here is Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. Okay? But the end thereof are the ways of death. In other words, the proverb writer is saying, there is a way that seems right to our natural way of thinking. But he's saying, actually it's wrong. <laughs> there is a way that seems right to our, to our natural way. Yeah. Seems good. It feels good. It looks good. But he said, wait a minute. It ends in death. It ends in death. And so, and so it, it points out that there is, there, is a, there is a divide between our natural bent and the truth of God's word. There's a difference there. 
We are not prone to follow after God. But instead, like the song says, we are prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. <laughs> That's, that is our natural bent in life, outside of the power of God working in us. There is a way that seems right to us, but the ways are the ends of, of death. Isaiah 45. Isaiah chapter 45 In verse 19. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. This is the Lord speaking. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. I the Lord speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Now, so as we read through the scripture, uh, you have a choice to make, you know. I mean, God is declaring time and time again what is true, what is right, what is wrong. We're, we're finding all this out. But, but as, as a reader, we have a choice to make. Will you believe it? Will you believe it? But I would, I would challenge you again by considering that as we go through the scripture and as you see those who chose to reject truth, you note the consequences that that brought. There are consequences for rejecting truth. Once again, there are blessings. There's joy for those who obey and follow after truth. I declare things that are right. That are right. One more here in the Old Testament, then we'll move to a few thoughts in the New Testament. Hosea 14, verse 9. See if we can find that book. Hosea 14, verse 9. I think I already went too far. There it is, right after Daniel. And this is the very last verse of the book. Hosea 14, verse 9. Who is wise? And he shall understand these things. Prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them. Listen to this. But the transgressors shall fall therein. In other words, the righteous people, they understand. They have spiritual discernment. Paul wrote about that as well. The righteous people, they walk in them. They find safety and blessing in the word of God. But the unbelievers, it's it's like a snare to them. It, It trips them up. The rebellious people, they stumble in it. They huff and puff and and look at it with, with a critical spirit. The righteous walk in them, but the transgressors shall fall therein. Now, let us quickly move to the New Testament and and once again, there's many verses. I would like to, to look at just a number, specifically from the Gospel of John. Now, John was a disciple who was very passionate about truth. And we noticed in our Sunday school lesson this morning that, that he was also a little, a little headstrong, perhaps, <laughs> early in life. I mean, the Scripture refers to them as the sons of thunder, James and, James and John, the sons of thunder, and, and they, they were kind of, uh, 
you know, pretty forceful in what they wanted, perhaps. But, but God did a work in John's life. And, and John, as we look through his writings, John was a man who was very passionate about truth. Now, I'm not saying the other disciples weren't, but by their writings and by John's writing, you, you understand what I'm saying. For example, just the word, if you do a little word study of the word true or truth, Okay, Matthew, you'll find it three times. Mark, three times. Luke, five times. John, 27 times. Okay? And then in John's epistles, 21 times. This thing of truth. And I'm just saying, John was passionate about truth. About what was real, authentic, true. Now, Turn to John chapter 3, and let's just note several of these. John chapter 3. I ran across this the other day in my Bible reading, and it, it stood out to me. Because here we, we see how, how our decision, where we cho- whether we choose right or whether we choose wrong, it, af- it affects our behavior. Now note this. In John 3, verses 20 and 21. For everyone that doeth evil, hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. That's, that's one person. Here's the other one. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest or made obvious, that they are wrought in God. Okay, you see that. There's a a distinction there. You choose to do what is wrong, it affects your behavior after that. It's a picture of someone that's, well, they're not comfortable. Something's wrong. And, you know, our world would like to say, well, there is no absolutes. You know, there's, there's no real right and wrong. They're simply not being real with themselves. Because our bodies know if we've done something right or wrong. Ever heard of a a lie detector test? Our bodies act differently when we have have told a lie. And they've, they've figured out that they can trace that. And it's usually right, I believe, from what I understand. Perhaps not 100%, but it's, it's pretty strong. I'm saying that when we choose to do what is wrong, we can't hide it. It affects our behavior. We're scared. I mean, just think about it in, in, in society around us when, when someone uh, commits a crime. They usually don't just simply go about life as before. Now, occasionally you'll have some do that. But more than likely, they try to hide. They try to get away. They, they do something to try to conceal the fact that they have done wrong. Okay? Which is interesting because... Even though people like to say there's no right and wrong, <laughs> it becomes clear in their mind that they have done wrong. Okay, And maybe they didn't even read the Bible, but something is very evident inside that they have done wrong. Just, just, we'll just spend just a moment on this a little bit further. But, um, you know, our world is, is a very tolerant world. And, and I like to say that, you know, there's no absolutes. There's no right and wrong. But think about for a moment the sports scene. Okay? Now... Those who are wrapped up in sports, 
They may act like there's no absolutes or there's no right and wrong when it comes to spiritual things, but you would never believe that when you watch them uh, in a ball game. I mean, when their team is down playing basketball with, with three seconds to go and they're down by two points and one of their guys shoots a three-pointer and is fouled, believe me, you'll find out real quick if there was right or wrong. <laughs> All of a sudden, that wasn't right. I've been wronged. Okay, so that, that's just one little illustration. But even just in our, in our um, well, in our, in our arguing or in our, in our perceptions, we are quick to find out that these people do believe in a right and wrong. Usually they're right, and usually others are wrong. Um, for example, uh, in various cultures, there may be differences of opinion of, of how many wives that you can have. But all of them would agree that you can't just have any woman you so desire. No, there's, there's a right and there's a wrong. And the list could go on and on and on. I say that people who, who don't believe that there's absolutes in life will get themselves in a corner very, very quickly because it becomes obvious that to any of them, yeah, well, there is in certain situations. Right and wrong. I say here, I I noticed in John chapter 3 that it becomes obvious in our behavior, in our behavior. When we are living according to the truth, when we are living, walking in the light, there is no need to be ashamed. There's no need to run and hide. Our life can be exposed, and it's okay. We're fine. It's truth. It's truth. Now, turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, it goes back to the very beginning where he says, If you continue in my word... That is the thrust there. You continue in my word, not only are you certainly my disciples, but you know the truth. We understand what is true, what is right, by being a student of the word. Okay? Now, John 14, verse 6, I believe I already quoted, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, In John chapter 17, we have Jesus' prayer. Uh, for himself and for his disciples, for all believers. Verse 17, the familiar verse, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. And we could go on and on. On and on. But let me, uh, let me move on here. And I would like for us to note a bit that when it comes to discerning what is right And what is wrong, there is no substitute for knowing God and knowing His Word. There's no substitute for knowing God and knowing His Word. As we think of knowing God, the more that we learn of Him, the more that we learn who He is, how He thinks, His character, His purity, His holiness... His mercy, and the list can go on. The more that we learn of that, 
the more we are called then to grow in his likeness. And the more we grow in his likeness, the more we think like he thinks, which enables us then to make godly decisions, to make good judgments of what is right and wrong, because we are thinking like him. We are growing more like him. The more we know of God. Turn to just one passage here, and this is to First John, John's epistle. First John, and I want you to note two verses here that speak of the power of knowing God, which gives us discernment. First John four, five, and six. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John writes that we can discern what is true and we can discern what is false by knowing God. By knowing God, not just knowing of God, but knowing Him, a relationship with God, studying God, gives us an insight into truth and error. Now, as we think about the importance of knowing the Word, turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, and look at the last three verses here. Hebrews 5 12, 13, and 14. And this is speaking specifically of how knowing the Word, being a student of the Word, helps us to discern good and evil, what's right and wrong. The writer of Hebrews says this, For when for the, for, when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again. In other words, he's saying, by this time, you really should be teaching others the word. But in fact, unfortunately, you need to be taught again. Which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. You should be teaching others, but instead, you need to go back to the basics. You're way behind. You should be digesting the strong meat of the word. Instead, you really just need milk again, like a little baby. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I find that fascinating. The writer here is saying that Those who by constant use of the word have trained themselves to be able to distinguish what is right and what is wrong. No, that ability is not given to babies. It's not given to the immature, those who just scan the word, those who take a quick peek before they go to work, those who have their devotions in a flash. No, it's given to those who are students of the Word, who study the Word. It says that by constant use, they have exercised their senses to be able to discern what is right and what is wrong. 
I challenge you to be a student of the word. It is key to being able to discern what is right and what is wrong in life, knowing the truth about life. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, a student of the word, someone who has put a lot of time and effort into it, knows how to handle the word. In other words, they know how to use it. They know how to apply it. They have a grasp of it. They have a good working knowledge of the word Not by accident, but because they have studied. They have worked at it. They have spent time. Therefore, they have nothing to be ashamed of. Now, we'll be closing here in just a moment. But but just for a couple moments here, I I, I want us to consider two little things here. Actually, they're two really big things. (laughs) And... uh, and I could, I could look into them more fully later. But you might be thinking, yes, Josh, I agree with you. I agree with you. And, and I do have a desire to seek truth. And I have a desire to live it out in my life. And, and I know that it's found in God's word. We're on the same page. I know that. But, but what about those areas in life that just don't seem very black and white. You know, what about all those little areas in life where, you know, what I should wear or what I should drive or where I should go or who I should date or, or what job I should take or the list goes on and on. What about all those where I have to make a decision and I just can't quite figure it out? What is right and what is wrong in those areas of life? Well, do we need to start all over again? <laughs> no, we don't. But listen, God has, God has graciously given us two wonderful gifts that help us navigate through these uncertain areas of life. And the one is, uh, you could say, our factory-installed conscience <laughs> that God has given to each one of us. The other is the Holy Spirit. God has given us each one of us, these two wonderful gifts that help us discern what is right and wrong, particularly in these areas of life that we we feel like are gray areas. Now, I don't believe there are gray areas to God, but I understand that because of our lack of understanding, yes, sometimes they appear gray to us. You know, God has built us with, you could say, inner alarms that warn us of dangers. We call it our conscience. No doubt you have felt the prick of your conscience before. You know how that feels. I hope you do. You felt that prick of your conscience. It's that little voice saying, don't do it. Don't do it. I mean, even, Thomas, when you, you know, reach maybe into the cookie jar after Mama said, no cookies until supper, And you might be reaching in there and you hear this, something just doesn't feel right. It's like, don't do it. Y'all know what I mean. I think every one of us knows what that that means. You know, that uneasy feeling in a certain situation. That's our conscience. That's that inner alarm that God built within us to help protect us from dangers. 
And, and, and I haven't always heeded that voice. I haven't. And, and I can tell you that in the times when I haven't heeded the little prick of my conscience, I have always regretted it. It never turned out like I thought it would turn out. I've always regretted it. And so I challenge you to listen to your conscience. Listen to it. God put it there for our good. It's there to protect us. It's there to guide us into what is truth. Take care of it. Nurture it. Strengthen it. Obey it. And then God reinforces those alarms, those inner alarms, in different ways. It can be through the promptings of the Holy Spirit, uh, through warnings in the Bible. It could be instructions from our parents, from our school teachers. Um, It could be counsel from our our brothers and sisters in the church. But God reinforces uh, our conscience in those various ways. Now, we must also be sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who always leads us into truth. Do you believe that? He always leads us into truth. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit has the power to help you always make the right decision? Yes. Turn quickly to John chapter 16. And here is the little situation, uh, the story where Jesus was just getting ready to leave and he's meeting with his disciples. It's a time of sorrow for the disciples. Jesus is saying that I'm, I'm going to be leaving. And imagine the disciples. They are, they're thinking, well, Jesus has always been there. He's always been the one who has told us what is right and wrong. He's always sort of been our guide. You know, think of a guide who protects and leads and, and tells you where to go. And Jesus had been that, that force for the disciples those years. And now Jesus is saying, I'm leaving I'm leaving. And that I can imagine they're thinking, how will we know? How can we, go the, how can we know the way? Didn't Thomas even ask that? How can we know the way? If you're leaving, how will we know what is right and wrong? And Jesus says, in verses 12 and 13 of John 16, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. How be it when he... The spirit of truth is come. He will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. What a comfort. What a blessing for the disciples. Oh, wow. So we won't be all alone. We won't be to ourselves. We'll, we'll, have, we'll have some guidance to make decisions in life. The one who guides us into all truth. And so, I think of the Negro spiritual that says, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. And that's, that's, that's a sign of being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And that's what God wants us to be. Sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We need to be willing and ready to hear the voice of the Lord and then act in obedience to it. Knowing and trusting that the Spirit is the one who guides us into truth. Isaiah 30 verse 21 says, And thine ears shall hear a voice behind thee, saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it. When ye turn to the right hand and when ye turn to the left. This is the way. Walk ye in it. 
That's, that's the voice of the Spirit. The voice of the Spirit that is speaking to us. I ask you this morning, how are you responding to it? Are you, are you even hearing it? Let us cultivate a sensitivity to the promptings of the Spirit, knowing that it will always lead us to what is right and to what is true. Well, I am confident that as you develop a sincere passion for truth, that God will empower you with wisdom to discern then what is right and what is wrong in life. But it begins by seeking after truth. And that truth, dear people, is found in Christ and in his word. Let us be seekers of truth. Let us have a closing song.